0: Hey, this is Nick Walters with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest, once again bringing you some great content that we taped earlier uh, this year with Dr. Shelby Ellison with the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Dr. Ellison was part of a team that understood some of the marketing efforts and looking into some of the markets in the future particularly for hemp growers. How many hemp growers were continually gonna grow more? Uh, how, What markets did they think were the best place for them to sell their crop? And so she did a longitudinal study, pulled all of this information together and digested it down into some really good bullets and bites for us to hear, get an idea to say, hey, if I really wanna start growing hemp, Where's the market for for the customer that I'm going to sell my hemp to? She's got some great insight to that, and and you'll enjoy hearing what she has to say.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Nick Walters with the National Hemp Growers Cooperative, and we are pleased to have you join us on our regular uh, webinar Wednesdays that we are having here every uh, Wednesday afternoon with different Uh, thought leaders and people who are knowledgeable in the hemp industry and who are giving us great insight in all the myriad of things that are hemp. And today is no exception to all of that. We are glad to have Dr. Shelby Ellison here with the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Uh, Dr. Ellison is a horticulturist and is on faculty there within the um, horticulture world and, and uh, uh, teaches and teaches one class that is particularly cool, which is the science of hemp. So that sounds like something even us liberal arts majors might enjoy being able to watch to, to learn a little bit more about that, Dr. Elson. But uh, specifically, uh, we wanted to hear from her on a uh, survey of stakeholders that she did recently, who of hemp industry stakeholders to get their idea and insight uh, about a myriad of things of kind of where the industry is going, particularly around research and education and what that may look like for those of us who are new to the industry or people who are in the industry um, already being able to share some of that info. So Dr. Allison, um, would you mind starting off and just giving us any more of your background that I was not able to do a very good job of there (laughs) and, and then uh, tell us more about your research and about the information that you found. And uh, she's got some slides for us to watch. So we're going to hold the questions until the end, because it may very well be that one of your questions is something that's coming up in the, in the slide uh, coming forward on all of that. So Dr. Ellison, the floor is yours. If you want to, uh, take the screen and run with it whichever way you'd like. Sure.
2: So I'll, I'll start sl- sharing my slides here. So thank you very much for the opportunity to present the results of this survey. Um, I'll go ahead and pull up the slides and then um, I'll give my uh, a little introduction, but I don't think that much more is needed. Okay. So I'm going to slide share. Okay. How does that look?
1: Looks great. We can see it very well. Thank you.
2: All right, so so yes, as was mentioned, um, I am at the University of Wisconsin Madison, where I work in the Department of Horticulture. Um, my background is in plant genetics and plant breeding, and I've been working in hemp since 2019 at the university, and just started my position as an assistant professor last uh, summer. So. That kind of makes me middle-aged in terms of the hemp world, if you <laughs> you have about two years of research under your belt. <laughs> so um, I want to present some of the findings from a national survey that I conducted. Um, at the end, is based on the 2019 growing season. Um, and the survey happened over the course of 2019 and 2020. So um, the purpose of this survey was to identify hemp research and education priorities um, in the near term, so the next three to five years. And the results of the survey were to help inform the first national hemp research and education conference, which took place virtually last summer. So this survey was supposed to be completed by hemp stakeholders who have responsibility for the development, adoption, and success of the hemp industry. So we sent the survey out through um, the University of Madison Survey Center, and this was sent out to various state representatives in in 30 different states. So um, in 2019, there were fewer states allowed to legally grow hemp, Um, and then those representatives distributed it to uh, licensed growers or processors in their states, because a lot of the times those lists are private, um, only the, uh, there's only the authority at the state level to distribute them within their states. So the survey was conducted, as I mentioned, um, December 2019 and closed in January of 2020. And we had over 1,500 respondents, which is excellent. And uh, over over 1,100 were used in the final survey analysis. So a little bit of the summary of who was surveyed. Um, so you can see something that's that's quite interesting is that um, while wh- well over 50% of the survey respondents have been working in agriculture for over 10 years, and- the majority of them had, um, so you know, close to uh, 70% had only worked in hemp for one year or less. So, so everyone was is really new to hemp. There are only maybe 10, 15% that had multiple year experience. Um, The survey participants were spread across many states, but the the largest, um, kind of the largest hemp growing states and regions were most represented in the survey with Kentucky, Wisconsin, Colorado, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Oregon, um, as having high numbers of participants. So this was just a distribution of the most uh, commonly grown hemp cultivars And this I should mention. At least 90% of the survey respondents were working in the high cannabinoid or CBD uh, hemp type at this time um, of the survey. So that's why what you'll see represented here. So the majority of, um, so the most common hemp cultivar grown was uh, cherry wine. And there's many of these cherry types as well as sweetened box T1 and lifter and cherry. So you can see the distribution here. And this goes on. It has a very, very, very long tail of people who are, trying out new things. So the first question we asked these stakeholders are where are they finding information about hemp? Because that's gonna inform us as educators and researchers where we should uh, put our information. And you can see that the vast majority of people are finding it on the internet. (laughs) And that doesn't necessarily mean through kind of uh, well-vetted websites. And then also, Uh, through word of mouth. So there, at that time, there's a lot of people that were just, you know, talking to each other, figuring out how to grow this crop for the first time. So the next question we asked is what, since working in the hemp industry, what are the the largest challenges that you're facing? And I'm just going to highlight here. So if things are in kind of this orange or brown or green color, that means that they are somewhat too extremely challenging. So th- so the largest challenge uh, growers are facing have to do with lack of risk management options, which particularly uh, means what to do with uh, your crop if it exceeds the THC limit. Market access, finding financing or banking, um, a lack of available or reliable information and the high production costs that go into growing. Next, we asked what uh, um, how important the following market research needs are. And you can see that the vast majority of respondents wanted additional market research on CBD products and alternative cannabinoids. So that's going to be things like CBG or CBN or CBC, all of these various cannabinoids that you can extract from hemp or um, hemp byproducts, but you, you can also see here that the majority of people are interested in market research in, in a lot of the other products as well. And that's going to be the case for a lot of the survey results is there's things that come to the top, but pretty much everything is being identified is, is very important. Uh, regarding the following hemp production economic issues. So people found the cost of seeds or clones to be one of the the largest production issues, as well as labor costs, harvesting costs, and testing costs. So those are the the main, um, uh, this is a focus point for us moving forward, is is figuring out how to reduce these costs to bring higher yields into hemp production. And then finally, we were curious about what are the most important areas of research for for people like me to be focusing on. And just highlighting a few things that came to the top have to do with regulatory issues. So those are things like THC compliance or um, remediation of um, hot crops, uh, including even the legal limit of 0.3% THC for what goes into our bills and regulations. Um, Again, the number one thing I think to this day is hemp markets and economics. And then some um, things that are more in, in the realm of what I focus on, which has to do with the quality of flowers, seed considerations. So this might be uniformity, germination, uh, seed certification, uh, plant breeding efforts to make better varieties for um, regional adaptation, management of disease pressure, and also post-harvest considerations. So that's from when it gets off of your field, where are you, how are you processing it how are you storing it until it gets Uh, further processed into the final product. So the the kind of summary of of this survey is that there is a great deal of work that needs to be done to specifically develop stable and high yielding hemp cultivars, best management practices for growing, harvesting, and processing hemp, um, develop market and supply chains, and to create acceptable standards to sample, test, process, formulate, market, and regulate hemp products. And additionally, that there needs to be more funding and greater collaboration between public and private institutions to achieve these goals. So out of these, um, out of the survey findings, remember this this was meant to inform the hemp and education Uh, hemp research and education conference that we had last summer, we wanted to um, collectively get together to come up with some uh, foci that came from this survey. So focusing on breeding and genetics, we came up with some um, additional ideas and questions that we collectively um, can focus on. And uh, this includes Um, Access to germplasm, so because of the illegal status of hemp for so long in our uh, country, we don't have um, very good genetics or starting materials. So creating a uh, a gene bank where we can um, start to collect access to germplasm that we can use in breeding programs will be very important. Creating stable and adapted genetics, so regionally adapted genetics that work well from all the way up to Wisconsin, all the way down to Florida, um, across the various suite of latitudes, Um, technology, including gene editing to potentially uh, create cultivars that might have 0% THC or higher trichome density or disease resistance. Um, This question that keeps coming up right now, the the best cultivars on the market for CBD production have this ratio of about 30 to 1 for CBD to THC concentration and figuring out how that ratio is going to be broken to increase the yield of various cannabinoids while staying compliant. Um, breeding for various diseases and pests. Um, so I've done two years of trialing in Wisconsin and, and I can safely say that hemp is not uh, immune to disease <laughs> and insect pressure. So there's lots and lots of things that we have to deal with in figuring out how to uh, combat those diseases. Um, tests for monocious plants. So. Uh, you know, it, it, Monisha's plants refer to plants that have both male and female uh, flowers on the same plant. So, if you're producing, if you're in production for a high cannabinoid uh, cultivar production, you you don't want male flowers. So there could be molecular markers developed for this. Participation in international efforts to integrate uh, genomic resources and share information. You know, we're new to this game. Lots of countries have been doing this for a lot longer than us. So being able to integrate into those existing um, resources and and provide additional resources ourselves. And of course, help with seed certification standards. Regarding um, the topic of agronomic practices or farming practices, some ideas and questions that were devised were how to best integrate hemp into existing crop rotations. uh, How does hemp management affect the quality of hemp products or THC? So this is going to be things related to um, fertility or various other inputs. How can we improve seedling vigor and establishment? So hemp is a very aggressive plant after about a month, but that first month from seed to when it gets going, it can be quite um, slow and often there's a lot of weed pressure. So improving that vigor is important. Developing best management practices by region to address agronomic, environmental, and economic concerns, so there are several groups that are kind of forming regional um, hubs to to inform these best practices for their their geographic region. Um, Ideal planting and harvest dates by region and creating public-private partnerships. Um, Ideas relating to pest management identification of pests and pathogens of greatest economic impact and their thresholds across hemp market classes in various climatic zones or regions, um, better understanding the impact of pests on crop quality and cannabinoid development, the impact of eco- the impact of ecology and microbiome on pest resistance and control. So a lot of these have to deal with the, the intersection of you know both the, the variety and the management system. Um, pest issues and management in greenhouse production systems versus the outdoors, pesticide efficacy and registration. So right now there are no um, labeled pesticides or herbicides allowed in hemp with the exception of a very few um, OMRI or or bio uh, pesticides. And um, so so to go through that process, there needs to be um, IR4 studies to understand what, how pesticides affect the plant and how they accumulate in the plant before they can become registered. Um, developing pest management tools and figuring out how to combat misinformation. And I think that's true of of all of these topics is, is kind of how do you add more scientific rigor to, um, to the field. So next comes testing and processing ideas and questions. So we need to develop standards for sampling and testing hemp cannabinoids and for contaminants such as pesticides or heavy metals, um, creating rapid testing for THC or roadside testing, these types of in the field testing kits that can give um, a better picture of what's happening over time and on in the field. Um, the idea of developing hullless hemp cultivars, so so hemp seeds have a, have a hull, which can make them difficult to eat and process. So if we were to develop some of these cultivars, it might be easier for processing for food products. Developing market, market, <laughs> markets for hemp byproducts, such as the seed cake that comes out of um, the seed when you press for oil, and understanding the nutritional value of these products for um, potential in animal feed. Uh, developing specs for growing, harvesting, curing, storing, processing hemp, and better understanding hemp emissions and odors and their effects on human health. So the same compounds, those terpenes and volatile organic compounds that make hemp so um, odiferous also may potentially have a negative um, impact on human health in large concentrations. And then finally, focusing on this, um, the the biggest uh, kind of area of concern from our survey is this economics, marketing, consumer perceptions, supply chain, and regulation ideas. So better understanding how hemp production competitiveness and best practices um, relate to other cross co- crops. So comparing the cost of production by geographic location, um, understanding how to prioritize infrastructure investments, um, so rather than kind of having a hodgepodge of like these things are going here, making the connections between what types of plants, you know, growing for high cannabinoid, going for grain, growing for fiber, or dual purpose, where in the country they're going to do the best and understanding where to put that infrastructure, what are the most lucrative end markets, consumer education, which I think is a, a huge aspect of this is just um, better educating the public on what hemp is, how it's different from drug type cannabis and and having more uh, research behind some of the claims that are being said about, you know, its impact on human health or on animal health. Better understanding the competitiveness of U.S. hemp versus the world market. Um, developing a common language and definition. So right now, because this, again, has been illegal for so long in the United States. People are kind of coming up with their own terms and definitions separately. So it's important for us to be able to communicate, to develop a common language and developing baselines and targets for hemp growers, processors and equipment manufacturers. Uh, And this I mentioned earlier is um, looking at hemp products or byproducts as an animal feed. And I know that there are several ongoing studies right now across the country that are specifically looking at feeding um, hemp grain to of uh, various animals to look at the impact of um, nutritional value and cannabinoid accumulation in the animal. Um, so to, to kind of summarize that, so this, this were, these were some of the things that we discussed in the conference. Um, interestingly, there in this journal, GCB Bioenergy, um, the results from the conference, including my survey results, We're just posted in a special issue here, the United States Hemp Research and Education Conference special issue. You can see this just came out last week. So the timing is is great. So you can go and check this out. It's open access. So it's freely available to anyone that wants to see some of the published articles from that conference there. And this is recorded so you can capture all this information. Um, And then one thing I wanted to leave you all with is uh, the... One effort that I've been working on in the Midwest is, uh, so, you know, I'm I'm talking about the survey, but then moving forward, some of the action items that we have is the Midwestern Hemp Database. So, um, one thing that we know is that we're trying to understand what varieties grow well where. So, this uh, database utilizes grower collaborative networks. And what happens is we have um, solicited growers to uh, provide information to, about agronomic performance and uh, agronomic inputs. So, what type of fertilizer, what type of irrigation, what type of soil they have, what varieties they're growing, and then in exchange they get low cap, low cost cannabinoid testing. So then they can sample their um, their. Their hemp for cannabinoids at about half the regular industry price. And um, all of that data gets fed into this database and then people can kind of can start to look at different states and different regions for different cultivars to see how they perform, when they're flowering, what the final yield is and what the cannabinoid data is. And there's hundreds and hundreds of data points in there. Um, so this is a collaboration right now between the University of Illinois, University of Wisconsin, Michigan State, Purdue University in Indiana, and then all of the testing is happening through Rock River Laboratory in Wisconsin. And so there's a link to this database. It's it's really great. And and here on the right, you can kind of just see some of the data. This is just all of the samples, the cannabinoid testing, and on the Y-axis is THC, and on the uh, X-axis is the total CBD content. And you can see how there's this very, very linear progression Um, that occurs over time. And that, that um, if you're above the line, you have too much THC. And if you're below the line, um, you have probably too, too little CBD. And, and this is um, this is very informative for kind of better understanding, you know, what varieties are way out here are going to be your best performing varieties um, as long as they are well, that's that's not exactly what I want to say. <laughs> so imagine there's a line through the middle of this that tells you what compliance is. It allows you to pick the varieties that are still compliant, but have the highest CBD concentration. And um, so this is extant, extending to a larger geographic region this year. And we're currently accepting applicants for participating in this project. So if you want to check that out, you can go to the Midwest Hemp Database website to find more information about that, or I'm happy to answer questions about that. And yeah, with that, um, this is my contact information here at UW and the extension website where we have lots of resources, um, including different webinars on how to grow uh, various types of hemp for fiber grain or cannabinoid production, as well as cultivar variety trials that we've conducted. And then below that is my website for other research I'm involved with working in alternative crops.
1: So. How about that? That's terrific. Yeah. That's terrific. Yeah. So I guess that's part of, the, part of the good thing that we get uh, to understand why you are able to teach the science of health. Um, <laughs> figure all of that out, dude. Wonderful. So let me uh, just uh, see if we've got anybody. Um, uh, Dr. Olson, would you mind unsharing a minute so that we could see the chat box a little bit better? Oh, sure. Today?
2: Yes, I, I can see it. So, yes.
1: <laughs> okay. So uh, can you see that as the question yes. that Michael is asking there?
2: Yes. Uh, and I'm please. not sure how it goes. I'll just read it. So for please, you as sure. a researcher... What are the greatest unknowns remaining about the hemp plant? In your view, is enough research going into hemp root and understanding the potential applications? Is this an underappreciated part of the plant? Um, so the greatest unknowns remaining about the hemp plant, uh, you know, i it's very interesting. I worked in carrot for the last eight years before I worked in hemp, which is another kind of strange crop to work in. But um, I know a lot about carrot. <laughs> and I still don't know a lot about hemp because I, there's just so, so much that remains untapped in understanding. So all those questions I brought up there, they're all just out there and, and needing more uh, research and education and collective effort and understanding. But, you know, you bring up um, the root, which is interesting because I've always focused on that working in a taproot <laughs> crop, but um. You know, from a from a product development, um, you know, if people are using, I've heard of people grinding the hemp root up for medicinal purposes. But um, I think, from my my personal interest, the the root system is incredibly important as far as how vigorous a plant will be. So, you know, if you have a good root system, that allows you to access water and nutrients better than if you have a poor root system and grow on more marginal land and, and be more competitive against weeds. And so, so the, the root system is always underappreciated in, in my personal opinion. And um, some preliminary findings I had last year is I, I did a, a my cultivar trial. I had 24 cultivars that were grown from seed that I transplanted from seedlings. And I had 14 cultivars that I transplanted as clones that were cut off of a a mother plant and then transplanted. And when you have clonal production, uh, the hemp plant is not able to form a taproot as it would from seed. And in a place like Wisconsin, where we have big thunderstorms in the summer, we had quite a bit of wind and storms and that resulted in a lot of those clones lodging or being knocked over in the wind. And even though the seedlings were more vigorous and bigger, they did not lodge. And I have to believe that it has something to do with that taproot system from um, seedling versus clonal production. That's one year of data, but um, I'll be repeating it to see if I can get that result again.
1: So it didn't have anything to kind of hold on to. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Normally
2: the, the root system in the clones is very shallow, so near the top of the soil. So you can imagine... But, and if it's a really wet year, it doesn't have any reason to go down. It just stays at the top, and, and spreads its root at the top. So if you have high winds, it's just super easy to knock down.
1: Interesting, interesting. The uh, and if anybody else has a question, i um, okay. Keep going. We're gonna we're gonna defer to our our folks uh, attending there.
2: Had Heard a researcher talk about a study that showed promising results using mycelium to increase the root system in hemp plants. Yes, I I have definitely heard about that in in other crops as well. You know, the whole, um, the microorganisms that are present in the soil, they have never, I mean, very recently have people started to understand the importance of those microorganisms and how they interact with the plant and, you know, if the composition of the soil changes and there's different organisms present, that drastically influences the, the health of the plant and how it's accessing various nutrients. So that that's a, a very new field of study. And I think it's going to be super interesting just because, you know, it's the whole uh, people call it dirt versus soil. <laughs> this idea that like soil is a living thing. I think it's it's becoming more and more um. Discussed and 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 shown that it's truly important. <laughs> Interesting. But specifically, like with the types, I mean, with mycelium or other different types of microorganisms. I, yeah, I think there's different research coming out, but I, I don't know the specifics of that particular study.
1: Interesting. Let me ask you, if I may, about the <clears throat> about the survey. Do you think that there will be? Um, another round later that will it's, do you think it's going to be an ongoing thing that you can track
2: yeah i i hope so and i think so because you know it's really interesting with how quickly uh the hemp industry is changing in the united states i mean when we did it everybody was growing for cbd production right. So in a couple of years, that's not gonna be the case. And then there'll be a a much different distribution across um, interest in fiber and grain production and products and research. So um, I think we will have to do it again to capture those those topics and also, um, yeah, just to understand the evolution of like where research is being done and where further research is needed.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's a great segue into part of what our question is. For you know, <clears throat> we feel at the co-op level that, and of course, we're growing throughout the the, the country as well as as we're moving more and more into these markets. We believe that fiber and grain are the are the places to to go. We haven't heard anybody yet say yes, go grow for CBD unless you got the contract and the banker will tell you that the contract will hold, right? Not just because you've got a, a piece of paper because of all of the negative things that have happened with, with a lot of growers and things within the CBD market. But the things that I thought were interesting about the survey that <clears throat> folks were saying one of their biggest challenges about seed costs and labor, or, you know, those are not really issues with with fiber. Right. I mean, it doesn't mean I don't mean that there's no issue with them, but mm-hmm. you're buying seed by the pound instead of by the seed. And you are able to use all kind of mechaniz- you know, mechanized yeah. way of harvesting yeah. and planting. I think it would be interesting to see about those that said, you know, not only yes, I'm staying in the hemp world, but I'm, I used to be a, a CBDer. But now I'm am I'm, I'm a grain and I you know and and um, I think that would be an interesting thing to see because we certainly are picking up on that a great deal the more that we speak to folks for example some of your colleagues uh, down at Auburn I know have done a, they're doing a great job over there but they are all about learning more just from emails I was having with them this morning about learning more about fiber and you know how do how do they translate all of that data and information and that might work real well in Wisconsin or Minnesota or some places in the upper Midwest but it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to grow it in Demopolis, Alabama either right Mm -hmm. so all of that world it's kind of a this is a loaded I guess not so much as a question that it's a question statement right that I, I guess I'm making but I would really think that that would be an interesting thing to track and to watch and to really help make policy and other things going forward, you think that's right or?
2: No, I mean, I, I totally do, and it's very funny. Just, I mean, being involved in hemp since twenty nineteen it's it's such a short period of time, but it's been such a roller coaster ride
0: really? for
2: me and and the interest and. Wisconsin's really interesting. They actually had the same number of growers in 2020 as 2019, which is not what the rest of the country observed. So there's lots of people that are still very interested in growing hemp, but we saw a drastic decrease in the acreage. So people are still growing, but small, like half acre to acre plot, just to figure out how to do it better and not for making money. So I, I think that that was interesting, but I know, you know, more and more people are contacting me about grain and fiber and wondering how do we do that and where to get seed for that. And while I think it is true that the cost for seed and, and, and labor are going to be much, particularly for grain production, because yes, that's all seed and a tractor, but um, fiber production will be a whole nother thing because you know with the redding process whether that's happening on the field or in redding ponds or chemically redded um, and if people are going to bale it or if they're on small acreage if they're going to try to do some of that by hand that it's all it's all a mystery still which is you know I know the fundamentals I've read some things and I can draw make a slide that says this is the process but you know the actual what happens and what innovation comes and and what in the United States, maybe in different regions, is like the leading way of how to do it. That's that's all to be determined. So yeah, we certainly need to continue to capture the pulse of, of hemp in the United States every couple of years, because it's changing
1: so drastically. I think so too, and we're, and we're glad that, we plan on being a part of all of that, and yeah, continuing yeah. to do that, because um, while ultimately our role is to be uh, building wealth for our members. I mean, that's what we are here for. But to know all those different uses and to realize that a grower in Montana is not going to have the same needs as a grower in Georgia or in any other region or the temperate zone that they're in, as well as the genetics. We we actually formed a relationship with the Israel Cannabis Association. Yeah, yeah. We, had, um, uh, we have had some of their geneticists that we have been in conversation with not on the webinar but in other ways uh particularly one around uh, phytoremediation uh, so the idea of of this um uh, germination bank or, or or whatever that term was yeah just where you can get to sharing that kind of information that really ends up helping the whole industry, that would be a real interesting thing to watch too, because it seems like those who first got involved in CBD, the people that made the good money, right? While the while the window was open, okay? Now that train's gone, all right? That made that kind of crazy money, I think. Uh, but um, for CBD anyway, I don't, I don't mean in, in, in other ways. You know, if they worked real hard to find a market and to find out who would extract it and what those costs would be, and how they were going to get someone to purchase their crop. They weren't real excited about sharing all that information with somebody else because they did all that homework on their own. And so they weren't really interested about being in a cooperative mode or cooperating with mm-hmm. others because they had taken the time and energy and effort to do it and they found one, right? It's kind of like you were talking earlier you know, about, about uh, young children you know, you might help anybody that moves to town to figure out a good dentist to go to or a restaurant, or, but, but you're not going to share your babysitter. Now, you probably got more of them because you're on a university campus where you can tap into them. But, you know, once you find a good babysitter, you're not cutting loose of that information because you don't want to give it up, right? So it's kind of the same thing that, that seemed had happened in the industry. And now that there's more going to the grain and fiber and the opportunities for all of that, I think it's a really interesting, exciting time to, to, to be in it, uh, uh, to be a part of all of that. So that's another question statement, but I guess it was more statement than question.
2: Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm very excited about it all as well. I don't, I mean, yes, your guess is as good as mine, but I, I agree. I mean, I might be naive, but especially during the last year with COVID, the only way, I'm getting things done is if I'm working with people and you've got to give to get. So, you know, I think the the selfish attitude in the beginning of this maybe was to the detriment of some people, but I feel like if you're really open to collaboration, that is key right now because no one knows everything and it it's not going to work unless you kind of know all the pieces. So yeah. um, I, I completely agree. agree that at these early stages, collaboration is is the only way to really get this off the floor in the United States so right um Absolutely. There, there was a question that came up in the chat too and you kind of mentioned it as well with the phytoremediation but it says where do heavy metals and toxins that help oh. plants absorb from the soil end up residing in the plant do they mostly end up in the stalks and roots and <laughs> I, I again i know there's some literature in this um And I believe that there is, they find those heavy metals or various um, chemicals throughout the plant, but I can specifically say that they, they do show up in the flowers. So there are lots of, I've talked to lots of different labs where, you know, they have, they have the flower that they're sampling for cannabinoids or for terpenes, but they're also sampling for those heavy metals and pesticides and, And you can find them in very high concentrations in the flower, which is really why it's really scary for some people who might be growing, you know, farming or growing for the first time and don't really have an understand, understand pesticide rotations and, and what was on the ground before they were growing there, if they're leasing land. And, um, yeah, so it's going to be really interesting for these questions about fighter remediation and, um, and toxicity within the various parts of the plant. One thing I'm not sure off the top of my head is in grain. If there's any sort of um, any any of those compounds are accumulating in the grain during production, but it you know it's like okay, well if we have these marginal lands that are contaminated. Then maybe growing things like fiber are going to be great there because there's no human consumption. But um, it'll it'll be very interesting to see if hemp proves to be a viable option for some of that kind of uh, cleanup effort. And if that's the case, if that hemp will still be used for any other process or if it will have to just be destroyed and cycled back into the environment.
1: Right, right. Well, we would love to put it into some of our renewable natural gas facilities that we're about the business of doing because we don't really care what goes in that pot very much. And so Mm -hmm. it's, uh, a. uh, we see a great opportunity as a matter of fact i don't think i'm letting any cats out of bag because i mean we'll roll out about it more but we have been talking directly with some people who are on the astm um, uh, committee that is actually putting a lot of these standards together and they are going to have a hemp um, symposium in either june or july uh, and they've got papers that are going to be presented about all various aspects of it, and one in particular about phytoremediation. And so we are expecting that we, along with some of our friends with the Israel Cannabis Association and others, are going to um, jointly present this paper uh, about how we might do these trials and what that might look like to be, be able to know how all that will fit. So uh, we're excited about that. We think that's a cool place to be in, in the space as well as the other things we're into as well. Mm-hmm. I think our questions are through unless somebody has some other thing. Dr. Ellison, I can't tell you enough how much we appreciate you being here and uh, spending time with us. And um, oh, one more. What about the 2021 Hemp Research and Education Conference? Is it going to be live uh, in person or virtual or will it be a?
2: Yeah, so- What do we know the,
1: about that? Find out the, about
2: it. The sad thing is there is not one. So okay. the, the survey and the conference were a, a one-time fun, fund that we got from USDA to do a survey and a conference and there there isn't repeat funding. However, um, the USDA does have additional funding and um, I'm sure some of that have funding that's getting put together will result in some sort of conference um, because yeah, there's definitely a need to kind of get everybody together and there's other conferences, right. For vegetables or for grains or in horticulture and agronomy and all different topics. But um, yeah, I, I don't think that there will be one in 2021. There's been regional ones that, you know, various people put on and, and field days, but I'm, I'm
1: going to say let's hope for 2022 in person. <laughs> there we go. Well, that's, that's, a great way to, that's a great way to end our our time today to Dr. Ellison. So we hope that we can continue to stay in touch with you and uh, uh, continue to track and watch the good things that you're doing there and s- tell us how we can be of some help to you and your efforts. We would love to be a part of, of all of that. That'd be a feather in our cap. So thank you very much. So uh, next week uh, we will... <clears throat> um, be talking about logistics. And we've got a, um, a logistics company, the 357 company that will be on, and they will be talking about all the rules and regs of what it means when I move a product from point A to point B. And it's a, it can be a pretty treacherous thing if you don't know where to step and how to walk and how to do all of that. So they're going to talk a whole uh, good bit about those things. And if you are watching this and are not on our newsletter, we would encourage you to sign up for that so you can learn about future webinars uh, that we're doing and other things that the co-op is involved in. So thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks again.
2: This podcast produced and distributed
0: by MWB Studios.